Bibles this morning. Turn to Daniel chapter number 6. Daniel chapter number 6. There's a couple of messages over the years that to me are, uh, the, the truth of them, the message of them are so vitally important that I try to make an effort every year to 18 months to preach them. And it's been a little over a year, almost about 14 months or so since I've preached this message. There are some messages that even Peter, uh, when he was writing in the New Testament, made mention that there were some things that were not new, but were necessary by reason of remembrance, needed to be reminded of some things. And so I want to take a few moments. We're going to use a very familiar story to teach three very, very important principles that I hope will be a help to you. Daniel chapter number 6, and let's start in verse number 10. Uh, Daniel has served now under, this is his third king that he is serving under. He began serving in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, and then Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belteshazzar, uh, became king, and he was certainly a wicked king and did not serve God or honor God, and yet Daniel faithfully served both of these men. God takes the kingdom from Belteshazzar and gives it to the Medes and the Persians. And one of the rulers of the Medes and the Persians is a man by the name of uh, Darius. And uh, Darius, uh, if you all know the, the story of the Medes and the Persians, they had a law that said a law that is made by the king cannot be altered, even by the king. Even today, there is reference to that. Sometimes... Um, we'll make a statement and we'll use the phrase, uh, it's according to the law of the Medes and Persians. And probably isn't used in common day as much as it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But what we were saying by that, in that turn of phrase, uh, it's the law of the Medes and Persians, is it's an unchangeable law. It cannot be changed, not even by the king himself. Daniel was uh, certainly uh, uplifted in the eyes of the king, had position. And uh, God uh, blessed him and allowed the king to put him in a position of uh, ruling and honor above all the other princes. And uh, some of the guys from Babylon did not like that, and they were jealous of him. And they knew that if they were going to find fault in Daniel, boy, this speaks highly of his character, doesn't it? They knew that if they were going to find fault with Daniel, they were going to have to find fault with him with regards to his God. That's a pretty amazing thought. If somebody had to try to find fault with you and I, I wonder how hard it would be. Would they be able to find fault? Let's look in verse number 10. These, these men decided to come to the king and have the king sign a decree that said for 30 days they were not to pray. No one in the kingdom was to pray to any god except the king himself. That's, they were lifting the king up. And so the king was overcome with his pride. He signed the decree without thinking about it. And we pick up reading in verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake concerning the, before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not decree, signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast in the den of lions? The king answered and said, 
the thing is true. According to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not, then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree or statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting, neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he, was, when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Father, we pray that you'll bless uh, the message this morning, speak to our hearts, and I pray that you would help us to rightly understand the principles that are taught in this passage and the passages we will look at in Scripture. Help us to have your wisdom and to understand it. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct us and prick our hearts and show us the areas that are needing for us to grow in. Father, the areas that maybe we have been lax in our faith and maybe it needs to be strengthened. Lord, some encouragement perhaps along the way. So, Father, we pray that you would lead and direct in every aspect of our hearts and our lives this morning, that your word would do its work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel's a tremendous fellow. I love the fact that he's a man of character. When he's brought into Babylon for the very first time in Daniel chapter number 1, he was told to eat of the king's table, things that were forbidden for the children of Israel to eat, and he refused the king's meat. The Bible says that he had purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. Oh, that there would be men and women of character in the day that you and I live that would purpose in their hearts, I'm going to be true to God no matter what. And you know one of the greatest battles we face and one of the great things that is a, 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 a seems to be a tug of war in our hearts on a daily basis, and we talked a little bit about this in Sunday school, is we so often want our way. We so often want the things that we want, our will to be done. And really the battle in the Christian life is a, a war that goes on between our will and God's will. And that we would get to the place where we would say, I don't want my will to be done, but I want God's will to be done. The greatest example you and I have to follow in Scripture Although God gives us many, many examples, the greatest one is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Would you agree with me on that? That we want to try to be like Him as much as possible. And when it came time for the greatest burden of His life, going to Calvary, He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and He begins to pray. And He said, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not my will, 
but thine be done. Can I tell you this? The greatest example in Scripture that you and I have is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I don't want what my flesh is longing for. I want the will of my Father in heaven. Can I tell you, if we could ever get to that place, we could live the victorious Christian life all the time. We could live on the mountaintops. We could be in the spirit of revival all the time. To get to the place where it's our will that is crucified with Christ. Paul said it that way. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Oh, that we would learn to die to self and to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel was one such fellow. I, I love the story of Daniel. There's a couple things here that I just want to say by way of introduction, then we'll get into the principles. And I want you to notice this as we get to verse number 10. He says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. <clears throat> and I want to say this. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament that as much as within us is that we're to follow um, those that God has given authority over us in the area of civil matters. When it comes to our government, as much as we are able to, we are to follow and to be submitted unto them because they are the ones that are to watch over our uh, souls and the, the ones that are to be watchful for uh, wrongdoing and to, and to be the justice um, that God has ordained and set up over us. But there comes a time where there has to be a, a discernment of what the, the political or the civil mindset of the world is regarding morality. And there has to come a place where you and I have got to make a choice. Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey man? We ought to obey our government in civil matters only. When it comes to things of a moral nature or things of a spiritual nature, we must obey God rather than man. Daniel was uh, well known. In fact, he did not rise to the area of prominence that he had under all three of these kings without there being some uh, uh, serving and, and some uh, 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 working and laboring for that king and having a, a, an, an excellent spirit in him. He didn't get to those places by defying the king. He got to those places by serving and working hard and laboring for that king. Even though he was an ungodly king, he would labor for them as much as he possibly could. But when it came time that the king began to say, you've got to defy your God and the things of God, Daniel said, I'm going to obey God rather than man. And by the way, there needs to be a generation of God's people that will rise up and do that again. That will say, we're going to obey what is right according to Scripture. I'm thankful that in our lifetime we've not had to give, uh, uh, we've not had to suffer persecution yet for the things that we hold to from a moral standpoint. With some of the, the things that we call persecution are not persecution, to be honest with you. There's a few things that are inconvenient for us. But when you look at the Fox's Book of Martyrs and you look at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and you see the price that was paid by people uh, many times that were persecuted, you and I cannot sit here today and say we've been persecuted. We, we may have been inconvenienced. We may have been dis disappointed. But if things continue to go the way that they trend to go and it seems like they are going, there might come a day even in our lifetime where we may have to make this choice. There might come a time where you and I may have to be willing to suffer reproach for the cause of Christ. 
we may have to suffer even bodily harm for the cause of Christ. Daniel understands. and Some people say, well, Daniel, he just didn't know. No, verse number 10 tells us this. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he's, he's a right-hand man to the king. He knows what was signed. He knows what was written. He knows that there is a gauntlet, a line that is drawn, and a price to be paid for opposing that line and going against the will of the king. And knowing what the penalty was, Daniel said, I'm not going to do it. By the way, there were three other fellows earlier in the book of Daniel that did this, didn't they? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Under Nebuchadnezzar, they, they said, O king, be it known unto thee, we will not bow. We're not going to do it. Can I tell you this? We ought not to rebel against government just for the sake of rebelling against government. We ought to live peaceably. We ought to do all that we can to live according to what our government uh, puts into place, provided that it is not contrary to God's Word. When it begins to defy what God has given us in Scripture, then may God give us the strength of character, the strength of our spirit, to be able to say, I'm going to obey God, come what may. If there's penalty for that, then I'm going to have to suffer the penalty for it. I'm going to be true, and I'm going to be faithful to God. One of the great lessons we can learn from this story is that Daniel purposed in his heart, I'm going to follow God. He didn't, he didn't wait until that day when the, when the trial came. He purposed in his heart aforetime. I want to bring to your attention just a couple of things very quickly. Let's look over to verse number 20. The king has spent a, a sleepless night, and he comes, the Bible says, to the den. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. The reason he cries with a lamentable voice is Daniel meant an awful lot to him. He cared for Daniel. Daniel's his right-hand man. Daniel's the one he's elevated in authority. Daniel's the one that's had an excellent spirit before the king. And he has, he has a heart for Daniel, and he has a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the reason for that is nobody survived the lion's den. They, 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 didn't, they didn't let these lions eat all the time so that they weren't hungry. They would starve these things. So when... The, they would so throw somebody in this den that they would break their bones and chew them up. In fact, you'll find out later in the chapter that they do it oftentimes before they even reach the floor of the den. The king comes with a lamentable voice. Nobody, nobody can survive this. He says unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, I want you to notice these next few words, whom thou servest continually, whom thou servest continually. Well, there's some great lessons to learn in those few words. When it comes to serving God, Daniel made it personal. It's amazing to me how many times in my life I have, without necessarily saying it, but by my actions, I have thought, I'll let somebody else do that. God needs somebody to do this, I'll let somebody else do it. You know, the book of Isaiah, chapter number 6, 
God tells Isaiah, He says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send what? Me. You know what the cry of many Christians is today that we live in? Here am I. Send someone else. It's amazing to me how often we come to church, we open our Bibles, we dress right, we look right, we, we try to have a, 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 an appearance where people will look at us and say, well, there's a Christian. There's somebody that loves the Lord. And, and we come and we sing our songs. And, and, and yet there's so often times that that's all just an outside facade. We don't actually work on the heart of the matter. When it came to serving God, one of the first lessons that I learned from Daniel is that he said, I want this to be a personal thing. This is something I'm going to do. I'm not going to let everybody else do it. I want to do this. I remember years ago when I was, uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, I couldn't wait to play on the basketball team. I was excited about playing on the basketball team. And I remember as a little kid watching our varsity team play, and they, would, they were not very good during those years. And uh, invariably, they would be losing bad to a team. And uh, they, the other team always had big, tall fellas. And here I am, fourth, fifth grade, and I think, you know, if, if, if I could just get in the game, I'm so short, they couldn't reach me. And so I could just go in between them, and I could do all this stuff. And, man, I could, we could win the game if they just put me, in the, put me in the game, you know. And I couldn't wait. I went out for the team in seventh grade. And it's junior high school. I went out for the team. And I was so excited. I was like, man, uh, we are going to start winning some games now because I'm on the team. And you know what I did that seventh grade year? I sat at the very end of the bench. I wasn't even the one that was close to the coach in the subs. I was at the very end of the bench. I remember thinking that summer after my seventh grade year, I thought, that was no fun at all. I got in, might have been able to play one or two ball games that whole year just for a minute or so, and that was if we were either losing really bad or winning really bad. And I thought, this, is, this isn't any, it's no, no good at all. And that summer, I worked hard. I mean, I worked hard every single day. I had my dad help me put a basketball goal up at the house out of plywood. And I mean, I was out there practicing, rain or shine. I'd get out in the rain and, and, and dribble the basketball and shoot and practice hard. And the reason I did all that, and I went to all that, 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 uh, that labor and all that effort, was because I, I didn't want to just sit on the sidelines. I wanted to get in the game. I, I wanted to play some. And, and I'll tell you this, I, I look at my Christian life sometimes and I think, Lord, I'm not giving the effort I'm not putting forth the effort to press, to, to be involved, to make this something that I want to do, that, I, that I, want, I want to pursue your will for my life. I want your will done in my life, Lord. I don't want to just sit on the sidelines. I don't want you to just be using everybody else. I want you to use me. I don't want you to have, let everybody else have the opportunity to share the gospel and to teach the gospel and to preach the gospel. I want you to use me. By the way, that ought to be the desire of every single one of us. Lord, I don't want you to just use pastor on Sundays. I want you to use me. Help me to learn the Word of God. Help me to share the Word of God. Help me to teach the Word of God. Folks, the harvest is white unto harvest. The laborers, the Bible says, are few. There needs to be a rising of God's people saying, I'm not going to stand by the sidelines any longer. I'm going to make this matter of serving God a personal matter. I'm going to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. 
Put me in the game. Lord, let me do this work. Let me serve you. And by the way, can I help you with something? We oftentimes look at serving God as an obligation or a duty. We do it out of strict obedience because we know that God's told us to. Can I tell you this? We're looking at it all wrong. There is a privilege. There's a joy to serving God. We do it not because we have to, but because we get to. I, I, I've often used this illustration. At the end of the month, when it comes time, or actually in my case, at the beginning of the month, when I start getting those envelopes in the mail, and uh, they're addressed to me, and I open them up, and it tells me how much money I owe uh, different people. Uh, the, 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 the company that uh, has my, my truck loan on it, and the, uh, the, the insurance, and all these bills that I have. And I sit down and I pull my checkbook out. I don't, I don't get my bills together on that day and my checkbook out that day and say, Oh boy, whoo, I get to pay some bills today. I'm excited about this. No, I don't do that. And by the way, neither do you. You know what we do? We pull them out and we say, Oh man, I can't believe it's that much this month. All right, here I go. And we write our check and we... Put a little frowny face on it and stick it in the mail. And uh, I did it, but I didn't like it. But I've got three kids. And there are birthdays and Christmases that come up. <laughs> Whew, I'm glad they don't come any more often than they do. Because you know what happens? Dad pulls out the checkbook. And this time, I don't sit down and say, oh. I gotta buy my kids a present. <laughs> no, no. I find out what they want. And I'm like and sometimes it's it's more than I have. And so I go and I sell my car and my blood plasma and whatever else I can do so I can buy that for my kids and I do it with joy. You know why? You know what makes the difference? One is because I have to. The other is because I get to. I love my kids. And I'll be the first to tell you, I spoil them absolutely rotten. And some of you that know them would say amen to that. <laughs> but can I tell you this? That's the way our service to God ought to be. I don't serve Him because I have to. I don't get up on Sunday morning and say, oh, Got to go find another message. and Oh, man, what, what in the world? I, okay, Lord, here's, here's your weekly message I got to preach. And usually by about, by, about Wednesday, about, by about Thursday morning, after I've preached on Wednesday night, by about Thursday morning, I'm already starting to get excited about Sunday morning coming. And, and, and I'm already looking at messages, and sometimes I'm like, Lord, I, I got so much here I need to say. What, what do I not say? I got to cut back here. I want to say so much. There's a big difference in serving out of obligation versus serving because we love Him. Daniel served God not because he had to, but because he got to. He did it with great love. Great, great love. Oh, that we would learn this. I've seen a lot of Christians that serve God and there's no joy in serving because they're doing it out of obligation. Well, what will God think of me if I don't is their mindset. 
or worse yet, and I've seen it happen, what will people in the church think of me if I don't? Folks, we're not here to please men. We're here to please God. We're here to do His work. And we're here to do it because we love Him. We don't go out and tell people about the gospel because we have to. We do it because we love Him. And by the way, when we love Him, we're going to love what He loves. You know what He loves? He loves the lost. It's not hard to love the lost when we love God the way that we should. You say, well, Brother Greg, I don't really have a burden for people that aren't saved. I, I really wish I did, but I don't. Can I tell you this? You need to love God more. Because when we love God, we'll love the things that He loves. Well, I don't love church. I, I don't love, I don't enjoy. Love God more. You say, Brother Greg, why would I love God more? Because the Bible says that He loved the church and gave Himself for it. And if I love Him, I'm going to love what He loves. Make it personal. Lord, here am I. Send me. Not, not, not pastor or deacons or people in the church that have leadership positions saying, we want you to serve. I, I, you know, and I, I don't mean this to sound bad. I, I'm thinking, boy, we, and I'm not getting on to our church. I love our church. Our church literally has spoiled me as a pastor. I, I almost have to say, y'all are doing too much. Slow down, you know. But, you know, it, it ought to be that way. A, a pastor ought to be overwhelmed with people in the church saying, boy, I need something to do. I need something to do. My dad years ago told a story. I don't know if it's a true story or not, uh, but he, he shared this story. It might have just been an illustration he used and, and could have very well been. But he shared a story of a, a, a fellow who uh, was a very wealthy businessman who had gotten saved and baptized and joined the church and began coming to church regularly. And he did so for about a year or so. And then the pastor started noticing he began to miss some services. And then he began to miss some more services. And finally, he was hardly coming at all. One day, the businessman asked for an appointment. He came and sat with the pastor, and he said, Pastor, uh, he said, uh, I, I, I'm saved, and I'm on my way to heaven. I know that. I, I just am not getting a whole lot out of the whole church thing. And he said, I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. He said, I, I, I really wish you'd just go ahead and just take my name off the roll. He said, I, I just not going to join anywhere else. I just don't want to be on the church roll here. And the pastor said, well, he said, well, I hate to hear that. I really, I really wish you'd stay. And uh, he said, but if, if that's what your heart is set on, he said, I'll take you off the church roll. He said, but before I do, he said, I want you to do one thing for me. He said, if you don't mind. He said, we've got a widow lady in the church. She's got several kids living at home. I happen to know that they don't have a whole lot of food. And he said, you're a wealthy businessman. You can afford to do this. He said, would you go and just buy him a bag of groceries and take over to the house for me? He said, you go do that and then come back and see me and we'll take your name off the roll. The businessman went and bought a bag of groceries and took over to the house. And they had the front door open. The screen door was there. And he went to knock on the screen door, and he heard some voices inside, and he listened for a moment. He heard the kids pray, asking God to supply some food for them to eat. They were all knelt down at the living room. Mom began to pray and cry and say, Lord, send us 
some food so I can feed my children. The man, not wanting to disturb them, very quietly was putting the bag down, but the mom heard him and turned around and saw him. She recognized him from the church, and she stood up. And she said, oh, sir, come on in. And he said, no, I don't want to interrupt. She said, no, no, you don't understand. We've been praying for God to send us food, and He's used you to do this for us. He said, she said, we've got to thank Him for this. Come in, and I want you to, to join us as we thank God for what He's done. And they knelt down in the living room. And one by one, the kids prayed, and the mom prayed, and the businessman prayed. When he came back to the church, he walked into the pastor's office, and the pastor said, did you do what I asked you to do? He said, yes, sir, I did. He said, okay. He said, well, I'll take your name off the roll. He said, don't you do it. He said, give me another name. Give me another name. You know why? He had learned to serve out of love. Daniel purposed in his heart. Notice the testimony of Daniel to the king as we look in verse number 20. The king asked this question, Is thy God whom thou servest? Notice he didn't say, Is the God of the Israelites able? He didn't say, is, is the God that the, your priests and, and your prophets, is, is he able? He looked at Daniel and the question of the king was, is thy God whom thou servest, is he able? The testimony of Daniel's character was that even the king recognized that Daniel's worship of God was not something that was on the surface but it was something that was deeply personal to him. And then I want you to notice, secondly, he says, Is thy God whom thou servest? What's the next word? What is it? Look with me, verse number 20. Is thy God whom thou servest what? Continually. Well, what, what an amazing thought. Verse number 10, Daniel knew that the decree had been written. Notice the Bible says this in verse 10, that he opened his chamber toward Jerusalem and he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Notice the next four words. And aren't you glad God wrote the Bible perfectly? These four words could have easily been left out of Scripture, but God puts them in there, I think, to teach us this lesson. As he did what? Aforetime. Daniel did not wake up the morning of this decree and decide, okay, I think today I'm going to serve God. Daniel had been serving God perpetually up to this point, and it wasn't going to end. I remember the first school shooting I ever remember hearing about was Columbine High School. I've shared the story before. In that story, there was, in that shooting, there was a young lady by the name of Cassie Bernal. Cassie Bernal had, uh, was in the library and one of the gunmen went up to her and pointed the gun at her and said, Do you believe in God? And she said, Yes, I do. And she, he shot her and killed her. For several weeks, maybe a month or so, they left her room untouched. And after a number of weeks, her parents finally went into her room to go through her stuff and they found a journal that she had kept. And inside of her journal, they found a picture of the school logo 
that she had drawn with the broken heart on either side of it. And under those words, she wrote, Oh, that I could give my life for my school. Cassie Bernal did not wake up the morning of that shooting and decide, Today I'm going to serve God. But she had purposed in her heart. She longed for her school to have revival. She longed for the kids of her school to see them come to Christ. And all that you and I would not just serve God on Sunday mornings when we wake up or on Wednesday nights, and but that we would be in a, in, a, in a spirit of serving God all the time. Come what may, whether it's, whether it's in times of, uh, uh, of good things going on or times of bad things going on in our life, that we would constantly be committed to serving God perpetually. It was of Daniel's character. Even the king noted, Daniel, this God that you have, I've noticed that you serve Him continually. You serve Him continually. And I want you to notice these two things that were so characteristic of Daniel, serving God personally, serving Him continually, brought God's power into the situation. Look with me in verse number 21. I believe the great miracle of this story. Then said Daniel unto the king. You could stop there and the miracle would be evident. He's been thrown into the den of lions. The king has spent a lamentable night. He's not been able to sleep. And he comes to the lions and he says, Oh, Daniel... Is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the, from the lions? And he was not expecting to hear anything. And I'm sure that when the voice cried out from the den, O king, live forever. The great miracle of God's power was evident to Darius. You ever thought about this? I don't think Daniel's great desire was to be thrown into the lion's den. You ever thought about this? There are some times that God has us enter a lion's den for the sake of someone else. Notice in verse 23... Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. Verse number 24, the king commanded, they brought the men which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions and them, their children, their wives, and the lions had mastery of them and break their bones in pieces wherever they came to the bottom of the den. But I want you to notice the difference it made in the king's life in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwelt in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Before this, the king had thought of there being other gods. Now he uses the definite article, the. He is the living God and steadfast forever in His kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and His dominion shall be even to the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and He worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. 
And so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Can I tell you something? Our world sometimes may need to see a Christian who goes through the lion's den and is remaining faithful to God regardless. There are times that our world is in need of some Christians that will say, I'm going to be faithful to God even if it's unto death. Come what may. Our world looks at Christians today and we've become a laughing stock because of our lack of commitment to God. We've become a laughing stock because we claim one thing and we live another. Oh, that we could be committed to God the way that Daniel was. That when people look at our lives, they could say, Could you get a hold of your God and begin praying? I have a need. It does my heart good as a pastor when people from our church come in and sit in the services and say, I've got a friend at work, or I met this person, and they asked if our church could begin praying for them. They know that our God is a personal God. The psalmist said in Psalm 63, in verse number 1, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. It would be wonderful if people and men and women could look at our lives and say they serve God continually. And above all, it would be wonderful if you and I lived in such a way that God's power could be placed in our hands. That He could use us in a mighty way to reach people with the gospel. That folks would look and say, boy, the power of God is evident in their life. A lot of things we can learn from Daniel. If there's ever a day and time that we need some Daniels to rise up in our midst, it's the day that we live in. Oh, that we could learn to be like Daniel. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. In just a moment, we're going to have the piano play through a verse or two of invitation. We've gone just a few minutes over today, and I apologize for that. The message is needful. We've preached primarily this morning to those that are saved and have trusted Christ as their Savior. But I want to say this, that if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't put it off. Don't, don't wait another day. Get that matter settled. In just a moment, we'll have a hymn of invitation. If you'd like to, you can come to the altar. We'll be glad to meet you up front here. Take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. If you're shy about that, you don't want to come forward in the service, please find one of us after the service. We'll be glad to sit down in the chair next to you and, and take the Bible and show you how you can be saved today. Make that decision for the Lord. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you say, Brother Greg, I know that I'm saved. I want to encourage us and challenge us from the things that we have learned from Daniel today. That when it comes to our service to God, that we make it personal. Lord, here am I. Send me. I want to be known as one that serves God. That it will be continual service, not just intermittent. Not just here a little and there a little. And most importantly that we would seek God's power on our lives. Father, we pray that you'll bless the invitation time. Use it as you would see fit. 
May your Holy Spirit work in hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed.